Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family. We will be releasing a series of select interviews curated from our National Parenting Summit that feature topics especially relevant to you, our podcast listeners. These interviews initially aired in early 2022 when the pandemic was still very top of mind for parents. While that time in our lives will always be a monumental reference point, these interviews and the information they provide stand the test of time. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Modern Art of Parenting Summit. I'm co-host Kirsten Holder, and like many of our attendees, I've experienced grief and loss in various capacities over the past two years. Our next speaker, Vicki Jay, is here to provide us strategies as parents to have conversations with our kids around difficult topics like death and loss. Welcome, Vicki. I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to learn from you today. Thank you so much for having me and for really even entertaining this topic. Thank you. Of course, it's such an important one. And I'd love to start by telling our attendees a little bit more about you. Vicki served as the CEO for the National Alliance of Children's Grief. Previously, she had been the founding director of Rays of Hope Children's Grief Center in Midland, Texas, and has had a 19-year career in hospice. She is recognized as a children's advocate and has received many accolades for her work, along with nonprofits in the fields of bereavement, including the National Jefferson Award for Community Service. In addition to her professional roles, Vicki cherishes her roles of wife, mother, and Nana. Vicki, as I mentioned, probably all of us listening today have experienced some type of grief or loss, especially over the past two years, and of course, so have our children. It can be both hard scary, and scary to talk with our kids about loss and death, so I'd love to hear from you about some age-appropriate ways and tips to discuss death with our kids. Absolutely. Again, I'm going to say thank you because death is often a difficult topic for all of us, no matter our age, and yet it really is one of the most universal topics that we have. I mean, everyone is going to experience the death of someone, and people are going to experience you know, the death of use. So the more we can talk about it, the more we can get user-friendly and beginning with kids is a wonderful place to start. Um, I honestly believe that the discomfort in the topic when you talk about kids and death is that we don't like to see those two words in the same sentence and that maybe it's more about our own discomfort than it is about the kids being discomfortable with it because they are pretty comfortable um, they just handle things more natural than we do until we kind of put those adult burdens on their shoulders. And um, so I would just say if as an adult, as a parent, as a caregiver, if you can just relax and be willing to broach the subject, the kids are going to help. Many, many kids will help guide the discussion for all of us. So when you say, you know, what are age appropriate tips? Um, it's really important for us to understand that although everybody in the family, for instance, may have experienced the same death of the same person, that each person, whether adult or child, teen, um, will have a very unique experience. Um, that also means that their understanding of it, the needs surrounding that death and how they process it and how they move forward are gonna be very dependent on a variety of factors, including their developmental age. So developmental understandings remain intact. So what, you know, how a child processes and learns at school is very much how they're going to process and learn um, about this death. 
So we just need to kind of understand that, that our youngest kids are going to be worried about having their basic needs met. If, if that person's not here, who's going to take care of me? Those young elementary kids are going to be a little bit about magical thinking and, you know, uh, they, they're not sure really the difference in reality and, and make believe a little bit. Then our older kids start to question and try to put some science behind it because they're learning all those um, theories about, you know, if and then and um, cause and effect. So they're trying to understand it from a different level. So as long as we just treat them as we do in everyday life, as they learn and understand the world around them, use those same principles as they understand death. Um, I guess maybe my best advice would be to, um, you know, just follow their lead. Don't tell them or ask them or try to explain what we think they need to know, but rather let's let them guide us and give us feedback. So as you start talking with any age child, just start with small pieces and tell them a little bit, ask them for their feedback. Did you understand? Do you need more information? And then do a little bit more and a little bit more. Um, you'll, you'll know what they're comprehending and what they're not. Um, I would think the very first place to start is um, when a child is in a discussion or asking questions or having a topical um, conversation, then you know just always checking back to see what they understand. We as adults think we know, but very often um, their, their insight is very helpful as to where the discussion needs to go. And the bottom line is, even once you finish that discussion, um, make sure there's a follow-up later. It doesn't all happen at once. So, you know, talk about it, explain it, ask questions, move on to whatever life brings, and then follow up later. So it's an, an ongoing, it's not a one and done. You know, as parents, I think sometimes we like to sit down and, and have the big tell-all. Okay, we're going to sit, we're going to have this conversation, and I'm going to tell you everything, and you're going to understand. And really and truly, that's not the best way that kids understand or process. They just need a, an open communication space where they can talk and ask and, and just share. So um, I, did I answer your question? Absolutely. And I think those are really great tips because as you mentioned with the big talk, so much of parenting is coaching and, and helping kids follow in a certain path. But this is almost the reverse of that where you're following their lead and trying to figure out what they know and what they understand, what questions they have. Absolutely. You know, we talk about it rather than being a, a teacher or a preacher. In this case, you're really a facilitator. You're helping bring out what they need to know and helping them understand it. Um, but you're not really teaching or telling them all. You're, follow, you're following their lead. So, um, and, and, and I think, you know, you know your child, you know, you know how much they can handle and how much they need and just follow those instincts. I'd like to dive a little bit further into that um, for a child specifically who has had a close loved one die. What does powerful bereavement support look like and how can parents ensure that their child has access to that? You know, that's a great question because I think we all have a fear. If this happens to our child, then, then what? You know, what does this mean in their their long term. And really with the right kind of support, children can fully, they're fully capable of successfully navigating 
you know, all of this that bereavement brings and, and grow into healthy adults. So what I would say is, you know, what does powerful bereavement look like? Really look at yourself because your powerful support comes from you. You are the first person in your child's life. You're the most important person. So part of it is modeling. Um, you know, part of it is, is looking at yourself and making sure that you're being appropriate, that you're sharing appropriately, that you're uh, modeling good coping skills and coping behaviors, and that you're open to communication. And, you know, it's also a little bit when you say, you know, what does support look like? doesn't mean it's all on your shoulders either. So part of modeling is being willing to seek help when, when it's needed um, for yourself and for your, your kids. You mentioned that I was at a grief center. And one of the things we encouraged our parents to do and our caregivers, many times it was grandparents, but was to come with the child. Because if you sent the child um, to get extra help, the message may be received as they're broken and they need to be fixed, rather than if you go together um, to seek help, either individually or separately, that the message could be received, you know, we're in this together, and we're going to get through it together, and so I think it's really important that um, you're comfortable asking for help um, for yourself and for your child, and that you see it as, as a natural part of, of the process. Um, the other thing for kids, the most powerful bereavement programs that I've seen across the United States in my role is um, really kind of based on peer support model. Kids are no different than us. They want to be with others like themselves. They want to be with their peers. You know, when I'm, uh, you, you have a toddler, so you have a lot in common with other parents of toddlers, but maybe not so much in common with parents of teens at this point in your life. We seek to be around those that understand kind of where we are and kids have that same need. So they don't wanna be the only one who has a mom or dad or grandparent or sibling died. They wanna be with others so it kind of normalizes it. So um, some of the most powerful support is putting kids with peers um, who have had similar losses and changes in their life. Um, and what I would say is, as you look around your communities, every community is, is obviously um, different, but there are some that are fortunate enough to have bereavement centers or programs or even children's bereavement centers. So that would be very um, targeted at supporting a child after a death. But there's also a, a variety of other places to look, hospices and churches and, and other community organizations very often have um, bereavement programs for kids and adults and combined programs. So I would, I would look for those to see if there's anything in your community. Um, I would also, some of those are just education and, and knowledge, and, and that's still very, very helpful. They're not all support group oriented. Um, most communities through schools and mental health um, centers have, you know, programs that maybe do some screening and counseling for kids that are having a little bit more difficult time with the loss. Um, and then very basically, um, I think about public libraries. Um, they contain helpful books for children and parents, but they also have a lot of listings for regional resources. It's a great place to reach out. If your kid is, your child is of school age, then obviously the school counselor can help you in accessing resources too.
I would be remiss though, if I didn't mention my organization, I actually am with the National Alliance for Children's Grief. And we have, um, we are really a comprehensive um, website full of information and services that focus on childhood bereavement. So um, if you go to childrengrieve.org, there are a, a listing of grief programs state by state. So you can click on their state and see what's available across the United States. But there's also a lot of um, downloadable resources, some activities, um, uh, things to do between a child and a caregiver, just tips for the parents or caregivers. So what I think is there are resources out there. And, you know, this is new, perhaps, you know, the world of loss and change is new to all of us every time it happens. And so um, as you grieve a death in the family or someone close, um, closely related or connected to the family, it's a time to look for resources. Don't, don't hesitate at all to reach out. Find other people that have, um, you know, unfortunately experienced a death too, and ask what was helpful to you? Where did you find help and, and support? You mentioned, you know, the current status, I guess. Um, unfortunately, in the last two years, there is a lot of talk about grief and loss, um, just with all the challenges our nation has faced. So um, there's a lot of information out there. Um, just make sure you're, you, you do your due diligence and don't just click on anything on the internet, but, but really do some uh, referenced material. But I also, I guess I would end that, that question with saying you really are the most valuable resource that your child has in their life. And this is an opportunity for you to grow closer um, and to grow individually in, in the midst of, of their grief and of your grief. Thank you for that. Those resources, I know are gonna be so valuable to so many people um, because none of us are, hopefully none of us are experts in, um, in grief and loss um, and haven't experienced it in, in a way that would make us an expert. Uh, so it's helpful to have those resources to lean on for you to give us permission to reach out to our support groups um, that we have available and ones we don't know about yet. So I really appreciate that advice. That's Other than death, we all experience loss, of course, in many ways. Uh, for our children, that could look like the divorce of a parent, um, a loved one being deployed, even if they're coming back, they're still gone. Um, loved one being deported, losing a pet, losing a home, moving, all, all types of loss that, that children can internalize. What are some key strategies parents can use to proactively acknowledge their feelings and to support children through these types of losses? You know, that's a great question. And I think my first answer is, first of all, you need to acknowledge that it is a loss that death isn't the only thing that brings a loss. And, um, you know, all the losses that you mentioned have a lot of commonalities across them. Um, so what, I, what I'd like to do is talk just a minute about, you know, what is loss and what is grief and, and what does that really even mean? And the best definition actually came from a child but um, refined a little bit, but the, the outcome was that it is an internal reaction to an external event. So no matter what caused the loss out here, the feelings and the processing and the internal is, is very powerful and, and still very important. So just acknowledging that all those things you mentioned, deported and, and pet loss and all those things, um, you know, are very important to a child. And we never want to compare a loss. Well, it was just a dog or it was just this or they will be back. 
because for that child, that loss that they're experiencing at that time is the biggest loss they can ever imagine experiencing. So we need to validate it and, you know, help them understand it. The other thing is when you talk about loss with child, like I've worked with kids through the years, and sometimes they won't even talk about the actual loss, but they talk about kind of the aftermath or the effects of it. We call those secondary losses. So maybe they won't say my mom died or my dad left the house, but they'll say, who's going to take me to school? Who's going to teach me to throw the football? Who's going to help me tie my shoe? So they are acknowledging that there's been a loss without actually verbalizing what the loss was necessarily. So just listening, providing opportunities to talk about it, to experience it. Listening is something that I think we as a society haven't mastered yet. Um, and I think in parents, one of the things that we like to do is try to solve the problems. We want to take the pain away from our kids. We want to take the problem away. We want to solve it for them. And grief is, is really not something to be solved. It is something to be experienced and something that becomes a part of who we are as an adult. So just provides so many opportunities for kids to learn, to listen, to be listened to, um, to share, to process, um, give them those opportunities. You know, like the best time to really visit with the child is at night when you their little head goes on the pillow, their mind, you know, their body stops and their mind is going. And that's a great time to just sit down and talk about things and, and talk about the loss, the changes, you know, having somebody deployed isn't a loss, but it, it brings up fear of loss. Having, you know, somebody being deported isn't necessarily a loss, but it's a disconnection and there's a lot of fear involved. So, and then use all those opportunities, like a pet loss is a great example. Um, use the opportunities with the pet death to kind of talk about death and, and kind of explore what that means. Or, you know, have the child go to the funeral of a neighbor or somebody in the church choir or um, somebody they know through school, the crossing guard or whoever, um, while you can sit and help them understand what does this really mean and what's going on. So then when it becomes a personal loss to them, they have a reference point and it's not their, their very first experience with it. And I think the other thing that we can help so much, um, no matter what the loss is, is that internal stuff is very driven by feelings. And so I don't think we as adults do a very good job of modeling expressive language. So what I would say is start early, early, early in that child's development in incorporating expressive language into just everyday conversations with children and, and teens both, with each other, with our peers, with other adults. We're very guilty of not being very expressive. You know, we'll say, how are you today? And we don't even listen for the answer sometimes. We're not really asking about feelings. So find opportunities for your child to, um, you know, use a feeling word. I, I raised teenagers and I can remember when they get in the car, I was always driving carpool so I could, you know, know what's going on. And I would ask all those inquisitive questions like, who did you go, who, who went, what'd you see, what happened while you were there, kind of the facts. And then I'd check it done. We miss the opportunities to discuss thoughts and feelings around experiences. So asking them about 
you know, how did you feel about it? What did you learn from it? Can you help me understand it? Just those conversations we have um, every day could look differently. And don't wait for the big loss or the big trauma in your life. Have it be a part of your natural conversation so that when something does happen, that you already have that, that rhythm with each other of being very expressive. Unfortunately, when I ask kids about their inexpressive language feelings, um, they use about four words, um, happy, glad, mad, sad, bad, five words, I guess. Um, they're very small words with very small little feelings behind it. But if you're madder than mad or you're sadder than sad, you need a bigger word. So helping kids understand and know how to use bigger words. You know, you're very disappointed. Um, you're you're angry, and angry is not even a big enough word. If you're madder than that, what are you? And and just kind of help them explore the words of expression. Um, and you know, just know that words aren't always the best way. So your child may need other ways to express. Maybe maybe they're not. Yours may not be. To the uh, expressive language part, maybe not talking a lot. So, you know, actions and behaviors are very good clues into how they're feeling. So helping them name those actions and expressions with a feeling or expressive word is a very easy way to teach them how to use the language. Absolutely. We talk so much about identifying emotions, but if we don't teach how to identify emotions or model how to identify emotions early on, how are kids going to have that vocabulary and experience to draw from in these big, bigger situations where they really need to fall back on, on those words? Right. Absolutely. And, and again, it comes back to us. We can do so much just by modeling ourselves. I'd love to talk a little bit more about the times we're in right now, and, and your answer might be similar, so forgive me for being repetitive, but I think it's just so important to acknowledge um, our pre-pandemic normalcy is now lost. So many of our kids are um, experiencing what a school year looks like, disruptive and not disruptive, and then back to disruptive, not getting to travel to see family. Um, so why is it so important that we acknowledge our own and our kids' feelings around these types of losses? You know, we can't expect a child to handle anything um, unless we're willing to do it ourselves. So just having the, you know, openness about what you're experiencing and feeling, but also protecting them a little bit um, from fear. So a lot of what this last couple of years has done is, is put a sense of, of fear in, in everything. And we want to flip that switch and get back to normal. And so I think, um, understand that when you say, I'm worried about, go ahead and clarify further so that they're not just hung up on that one part of your sentence. They have a better understanding going forward. We have to acknowledge feelings in all parts of our world. We have to acknowledge our experiences. This has been an upside down world, no doubt, in the last two years. And if we think kids aren't noticing, you know, then we're remiss because they do notice. Um, they pay attention to us and the world around them. So we need to help them understand it. One of the things I would say is that it is so much healthier if a child gets the information from you versus trying to process it on their own out there. So for instance, you know, they hear other people 
complaining or showing concern about some things that have changed this year or some things we haven't been able to do or limits we've had put placed on us um, as precautions. We need to make sure they understand why those limits are there, why things are changing or why we need to do things differently um, and help them really look at it. And I just, a side note, want to say a gift you can give to your child is to make sure that the last thing they do before they put their head on their pillow is not watch the 10 o'clock news or the six o'clock news or whatever time it comes on in your community um, because that leaves a lot of undone questions. Just, you know, helping us, just talking about it and finding ways to make normal out of abnormal times. So you can't go on your vacation, but what can you do instead? You can't go see grandmother, but what can you do instead? You're not at school, but what can you do instead? So helping them kind of problem solve and learn some resiliency in um, kind of coping skills. I don't know if I really answered your question because when I get in, tied into this year, my mind goes crazy. <laughs> I don't think you're alone in that. I think all of our minds go crazy when we're trying to process what just happened. So even though it's been, you know, two years nearly. And so, no, we really appreciate all of those tips. And I think it's very beneficial for both us as parents listening, but also as we try to break it down and contextualize it for our kids um, across ages. Whether it's grief around some of these more nuanced topics or more overt loss of a loved one, it's important to remember that grief doesn't have a timeline and that loss isn't always something we can just get over. You mentioned the light switch analogy, that, that's not realistic here. How can we be more understanding of this concept as people around us are dealing with loss? And how can we be more gentle with ourselves and our children as well? You know, the death of a family member or friend or, or someone that is significant is really a lifelong loss. It changes who we are. It affects us as we move forward. And we know that in our heads, but not always in our hearts. Um, and so we kind of want to process it and move on. We want to be to that other side of whatever. And it's, it's normal. Um, for us as adults, but also with kids, one of the things that I've learned with working with kids is that it's really normal for them to experience the death and kind of go through whatever the process is right after that and have, you know, a pretty high level of intensity for a while. But the other thing is that um, once things level off and things get back to normal, meaning you go back to school and routine seems more normal and there's not extra people involved and, and your daily schedule is, is more predictable. Um, we, think, we think our heart should be back there too. And um, with kids in particular, they go through grief at every developmental age. So I often get someone who'll say, you know, this happened when he was five and I thought we handled it well, he seemed to do okay, but now he's 13 and he's still upset about it. Where did I go wrong? And it's not that you went wrong, it's just that um, they have to go back through it at a different developmental age. You know, if, they, if it happened at five, they ask five-year-old questions and they processed it as a five-year-old. But now they're in that preteen stage and they have adolescent questions and they need adolescent answers. And so we have to continue kind of let them grow their grief as they grow um, in their developmental understandings of life. So it does come back up over and over. Um, but even beyond that, 
you know, we all have um, periods of time where we think it's appropriate. Um, in days of old, there was more uh, languaging around mourning than grief or bereavement. And mourning really was kind of set aside in many cultures as a period of time. Here's, here's what's appropriate to do within this period of time to honor the deceased. And we kind of capital, captured it um, for individuals. And we don't do that quite as much anymore because we've learned that it's not a period of time, it is a lifetime. And, you know, just being gentle with yourself, let yourself have those grief births. You know, um, when you when you smell the smell, hear the sound, see the scene, um, you know, you're you're gonna kind of have to release some feelings and emotions. And you know, from a kid's point of view, that's healthy for them to see. They see that you too have ongoing things. Now, if it drives, you know, all the conversation all the time, then then maybe it's bigger than than normal and it needs maybe a little support along the way. Love everything you just said, especially contextualizing it in when a five-year-old is five, they ask five-year-old questions. When they're 13, they're going to ask 13-year-old questions. I think that's true for us as adults. Would you agree? Absolutely it is. And, and it's dependent upon your relationships. And, you know, um, let's, you know, some of those other losses you were talking about, that affects us too. You know, if you've had a relationship that didn't work out, then other relationships are different. And so every time you enter into a different phase, a different relationship, then we as adults kind of process it developmentally the same way, you know? So. Thank you so much for those tips and that acknowledgement of um, both our kids' feelings and ourselves as well. Oftentimes, grief or loss of any kind can be accompanied by feelings of anxiety or depression. And what we know that in general, both anxiety and depression are on the rise in our kids. I know that holds true in my own household as well. What are some coping strategies around anxiety specifically that could be beneficial to kids and adults both? And how do we know when it's time to seek professional help? You know, I don't know if that question has ever been more appropriate than it is now. Um, I think that we need to be very cautious and conscientious of, of you know, all of this um, kind of related to the situation we're in. What I would say when you um, talk about kids, for instance, I'm gonna go back and repeat what I said. First of all, they need languaging to be able to express themselves, to have an understanding of a variety of feelings and anxiety is one of those. You know, a child needs to work, know the word and understand anxious so they can help when they really have that overwhelming feeling of anxiety and, and or depression. Um, but I would also say that strategies are, um, you know, just helping kids need, uh, I guess what gives them safety, they need to feel safe. And if this happened, if my world just went upside down, this loss occurred and it's turned everything upside down. And if that could happen, then what else could happen or who else could I lose? Who else could die? Is there thinking? Because like I said, it goes back to our school teaching. We do the if then, we do, cause and effect. And so when they start to see things tumble or go upside down, then it kind of pulls that rug of security out from under them. So a way to help them is to put more predictability, more routine back into their lives. 
I don't know if you've ever um, had the occasion to be around a child. Sometimes one of the very first things they want to do after uh, a person, a, a family member, for instance, has died, is they want to go back to school. Mm-hmm. And as adults, we think, really? Is that, you know, should they and, and why? And it's because they want that routine back. They want that predictability. They want to be back with, with normalcy, quote unquote, if there is such a thing in our world. Um, so helping them understand one of the things that helps young kids and toddlers and, and young school age kids is calendars and, and, and making sure that they understand and they can see what what the next day is gonna happen. When you talk about those other losses, sometimes visitation and traveling and living in different homes is part of it. So whose house is gonna be here? Who's gonna drive you? Who's gonna feed you? Who's gonna take you? Just putting that security blanket around them so they they feel that um, around them. How do you know when it's time to seek professional help? with a child, what I look for, what I tell people to look for is when they're different than they were before. So, you know, if they've always been anxious and they're anxious now, but it's something they can't control, then, then maybe that's time. When you feel like your grief is, is interfering with your ability to support them, it's time to seek professional help. Um, when they can't function um, in a normal setting, they're not doing well at school or you know, in relationships with siblings or whatever, when, when they truly cannot seem to function, um, then you know, it's time to ask for professional help. What I would say though is we have in our head sometimes a stereotypical, we think that the, the child who's screaming for help is the one that needs help. Sometimes it's the one who goes internal. So if they were different than they were before, if before they were a straight A student and now they're not, then it's pretty obvious something's going on. But sometimes the opposite is true. They've been very internalized, very, very soft, very inside. And all of a sudden they're not, you know, if they've changed who they are and how they kind of handle daily life then it's, it's time at least to seek, you know, an assessment to just see if you need help um, or they need help. Um, but I would also just throw in a kind of a caveat that you can help your kids if you're not doing well yourself. So it is not a sign of anything less than appropriate to seek help. Um, grief is hard. It is so hard on all of us and we all need help, whether it's professional or friends or, you know, we need help and we all need all different kinds of help at different parts of our grief journey. Um, so please, you know, feel free to, to reach out and, and ask for help. Therefore, you can be a better support to your kids. Did that answer your question? Absolutely. And I was just about to say, we, we cannot hear the message enough that we as parents have to take care of ourselves before we can do anything for our kids. It's so easy. Excuse me, I got a little bit choked up listening to you talk. It's so easy to um, put all of our energy into them because there are hearts outside of our bodies. How could we not? Um, But it is such a good reminder. And it's so important to always come back to, we need to fill ourselves, make sure we're the best we can be before we can even provide any kind of support for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
So whether loss, whatever loss we might be grieving in our lives, we all grieve differently. I think we've established that by now. And I think it's so important that our children see us as parents grieving and working through big emotions as well. But there are some parts of the grieving process that we have to do apart from our kids. Like say, if we're going through a divorce, how can we give ourselves as parents space and grace to drive in the ways that are grieve, excuse me, grieve in the ways that are right for us while also supporting our kids in their own grief? You know, that is such a great question because um, throughout this conversation, I've been saying, you know, together, together, communicate together. But again, I'm gonna say we can't do that if we're not healthy ourselves. So we do have to take care of ourselves. Sharing some tears, some thoughts, some emotions is a great way to model or mentor, you know, how, how to cope healthy, healthy coping skills. But at the same time, losing it, um, not being able to function is, is not. So make sure that, you know, your kids are cared for and, you know, even being open to say, I need my time and you do your work in this way. You do, you know, you need to be with your friends. You need to whatever. And this is what I need. Just letting them know, because you're also teaching them lifetime skills. And there are definite parts of our own grief that kids shouldn't be a part of. And, and you mentioned divorce and without a devout doubt, divorce is one of those that there are a lot of pieces and parts that kids don't need to be a part of. Um, and so what I would say is, you know, share only things that are appropriate to be shared. That's pretty, you know, common sense, but be careful about what you're sharing in front of kids too, because just using the word divorce, separation, um, you know, things in front of them, if they don't have an understanding of that, that's a huge word. And so helping them uh, by saying, you know, your dad and I are getting a divorce may or not, may not be helpful that young child so help them understand what a divorce is you don't have to explain what your divorce is but what is a divorce um and you know giving them examples of what causes or you know the results of without personalizing it to your situation and obviously without you know being needing to be said probably you know kids don't need to be put in in the middle of of anything um, that is personalized to me as an adult. I need to support them, but I need to keep my personal um, facts and information um, in an adult world and not in a child world. Um, you know, I, an example of that, I'm sorry, I just, I'm remembering a child who overheard a mom on the phone say, his dad and I are in a custody battle. So if you're six years old, what does custody battle mean to you? Custody, you don't have a clue. Battle, you understand. But battle is a war of weapons and, and whatever battle is to that child, especially in today's world. So, you know, custody is, is words on paper. So if you can help them understand that it's just a battle on paper, versus a physical battle that they may imagine in their head. So be careful of what you say in front of them and help them understand the terminology. That's a little off topic of what you were asking, but um, I just, I, I see kids in front of me telling me their stories. I'm so glad you did. It's, it's sometimes hard for us to remember that 
they might understand one part of the word or phrase, but not the other. And then they're drawing conclusions that might be way scarier than what the actual, you know, situation is. So I do appreciate you pulling that example. Absolutely. And as we wrap our conversation today, Vicki, for all of these difficult topics, and we've covered so much today, what are your top tips for us as parents to provide an environment for which our kids are feeling willing and safe to share their feelings? You know, the very first thing is none of this can happen if you don't take care of yourself. So take care of you, whatever that means to you, take care of you. If you can't take care of your kids, make sure they're taken care of, you know, first and foremost. And then I would just say, be honest with your child. You don't have to tell your child everything. You don't have to share everything, but whatever you share needs to be true. Um, it takes a long time to build a relationship of trust and it doesn't take very long to shut that down. So just make sure that you use simple, direct, age-appropriate information, mannerisms, and everything you say is true. Um, and just know that they will hear things from other people. So you need to make sure that what that, that anything that they need to hear, they need to hear from you. And I think I mentioned it earlier, but I think a skill set that we all need that kind of provides that environment that you just described is better listeners. Listen to your child, let them ask questions. Don't be afraid to say, I don't know. Don't try to solve their problem. Just listen, just be with your child. Um, and then we talked about it a little bit when we we're talking about the different kind of losses, just acknowledge your child's grief. And their grief may be different than yours. They may be grieving something you're not. They may not be grieving what you're grieving. For instance, we assume that all loss is bad. But there's times when a child says, I'm glad he died because he's no longer in pain. So it's not negative. Or I'm glad she left. There's no more fighting in the home. So just acknowledge your child's grief as their grief and don't try to match it to yours or anybody else's. And just know that they're gonna move in and out of grief um, today and next year and for the next parts of all their life, you know, their entire life. Um, and, you know, then share. Um, just share yourself with your kid. Tell them how you're feeling, share your stories, talk about you know, languaging, share expressions, tell them when you were afraid, sad, angry, let them see you as a child, let them understand that you haven't always been adult, that you are a child and children grow up to be healthy adults and it normalizes so much of what they are experiencing. Um, and then pay attention to your child. You have a very unique child. If you have five kids, you have five unique children. And just be creative in, in meeting their needs in the way they need them met. Um, you know, they may be creative, they may be readers, they, whatever it is, but follow your child and, and be creative. Um, at the same time, not all life goes out the door. So you still have to maintain clear expectations. Like I said, those routines, keeping rules and boundaries. So many times we've heard, especially from our teens, that you know all the rules went out the window because this loss or change happened in our home. And kids really see, and this is a lesson that I'd love to share 
um, with parents, but kids see rules or boundaries as safety nets. They care enough about me to keep me safe. And so, so many times we as adults want to give in and let those rules and boundaries go away, but the message could be received. I guess they don't care how safe I am. They get that security from knowing that you're going to help them maintain their, their life. And then I would just say, love your child. Reassure them that they are loved, they are loved, they are loved, no matter what. I don't know, but I love you. I don't know, but I love you is something that they need to hear as many different times. And reassure your child that, you know, life and death is what, what it's all about and help them understand that the tree dies, the flower dies. Um, this is normal. And I can't promise you that I or others are not going to die, but it is just part of life. And there'll be a plan and support if such an event occurs. So we're going to, to maintain that. And uh, I guess the other thing is life can't go back to like it was. So you're going to have to create new family traditions, new rituals, new ways of doing things, new ways to acknowledge the grief um, and honor the memory of the people who are no longer here, whatever that means to you and your family, your culture, your religion. Um, it's important that you involve the kids in it and you all do it. And maybe one last thought is just be patient. Grief is messy. It's hard. It's, it's ongoing. Um, and you and your child or children are all going to be grieving and just be patient with yourself and patient with your child and know that you're going to grow and change and continue your life story together. Um, I, hope, I hope that was helpful. Everything you've said has been so helpful. I was just thinking about how everything we've talked about today is so much of how to become the best parent we can be to our child through the lens of grief or not. Um, so, so many of these, these steps that you've encouraged us to take are, are steps we need to be taking whether or not we're in a situation of grief or loss. And I, I so appreciate you breaking these things down for us and, and really reminding us that there's help and that we can take care of ourselves as well as our families. Everything today, Vicki, has been so helpful. I so appreciate your time. Um, and for our attendees, you can learn more for, about the National Alliance for Children's Grief at childrengrieve.org. And you can connect with the organization on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. Thanks so much, everyone, for joining in. Thanks again, Vicki. Thank you so much for this opportunity.